It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. For the love of Pete, it's something you might say when your car gets damaged, but that won't get you the help you need for your vehicle. As someone named Jake, what you should be saying is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For help filing your claim 24-7, whether it's on the phone, online, or on the award-winning State Farm mobile app, however you choose. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. I am Chris Manning, your host from fearthesword.com, and this is your daily look at LeBron James and the rest of the always interesting Cleveland Cavaliers. Today's show is the first part of a two-part conversation I had with ESPN Cleveland's Jordan Zerm. You can find him on Twitter at CleveZerm. He wrote a story about the new Cavs and how they've reacted to playing with LeBron and their reaction to seeing LeBron do the insane stuff he seems to do on a nightly basis. Jordan's story is in the show notes. Go read that, support him, give him a follow on Twitter, and, and check out all his work. He is a fantastic writer, one of my favorite people to talk to. Today's show is on his story, his take on Jeff Green, and some of the other unknowns the Cavs have going into the playoffs, and a look at where the rotation sort of stands right now. We're talking about Hood, Nance Thompson, George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, all of the guys we have a lot to learn about. On Wednesday, you'll hear the second part of our conversation that talks about the importance of seeding, importance of, of what the Cavs are facing, the differences in this Cavs team, what they're facing versus years past, and how they might be tested in a new way this year, this year as opposed to the past years when they've had maybe one truly hard playoff series, and that being the Bulls series from the 14-15 season in, in the 15 playoffs. Also, uh, as you go into this podcast, you're going to hear a clip from David Ramil. He's the co-host of Locked on Heat. On, on Okara White, do the Cavs sign to the to a full-year contract uh, on Sunday. They On Saturday, they announced that they had signed Okara White to a deal for the rest of the season. Uh, from what I understand, he's someone that I think they might look at to play in Summer League and then to have to play next season on this team he's a 6-8 forward who was with the heat last year and then this year got hurt got traded to the hawks was waived and the Cavs originally signed him to attend a deal didn't play him but they have signed him so he'll be on the playoff roster he fills one of the two open roster spots they have which they have they might use him with this week if they if they want to bring in someone in for for some sort of locker room presence but uh you'll hear david Rumel, you hear the intro music then me and jordan zerm talking about the his story and the unknowns about this Cavs team, and then 
You'll be hearing us again on Wednesday. Have a great Monday. Talk to you again tomorrow with a recap uh, of the Monday's Cavs-Knicks game. But here's David Ramil and myself and Jordan Zerm. Well, Carl White never really made much of an impact in Miami, but will forever be remembered fondly because he joined the team midway through the 2016-17 season, right as the Heat began their incredible turnaround and finishing the year at 41-41 after being 19 games under 500. In fact, Okaro made his debut with the Heat when they won their first of 13 straight games, thus earning him the nickname 13 and Okaro. But the truth is that he didn't really play a significant role in that win streak, nor in Miami's second half success. What he did provide was a mixed bag of versatility, able to do a lot of things, but none of them particularly well. He'd give you some outside shooting, averaging around one three-point attempt per game and knocking them down at about 35%. He was a decent rebounder, pulling down 2.3 boards per game, but at just 200 pounds, he could be pushed out of the way fairly easily. As a defender, he was enthusiastic, and at six foot eight, he had the length to make things difficult for opponents. When Hassan Whiteside missed a number of games during that season, Okaro's length was a convenient asset off the bench, allowing Eric Spolstra to play him at any front court position in secondary units. Still, there were holes in his game. He wasn't much of a ball handler or playmaker, but that wasn't really required of him either. However, it was clear that was the next logical progression for him, and during this past summer league, Okaro was used frequently as a primary ball handler, bringing the ball up court, initiating fast break opportunities, and learning to score off the dribble. There were some nice flashes, and it looked like he had put on some muscle as well, making him a difficult cover. Too fast for bigs to contain, and too strong for smaller wings. Unfortunately, he only played in six games this season, including four starts, and we never really saw a large enough sample size to determine if he was ready to make a leap. All in all, Okaro was a nice player that benefited from joining a team that was peaking at the right time and has a well-established reputation for developing players. He absolutely has potential, but he needs a team capable of investing significant time in him in order to see that it's realized. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who could help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, Jordan, so you wrote this story that has, a, I think, a very good, perfect title for it for Bleach Report called Newest Cavs Share Their Holy Shit Moment, LeBron Moments. 
you this is a story basically about how people react to LeBron James and the, the moments they realize that they're playing with this guy who is incredible and is maybe the best player in the world. And, it, and there's just it's a good season to do it and a good time to do it because of the turnover. You and I talked about this at the deadline. They have Jetty Osman as well, and they have this mix of guys that are all reacting to him in different ways in their different stages in their careers. When you were reporting this, who was the guy that you talked to that was the most insightful or, or kind of gave you the, the most relatable quote about this or however you would say is what stood out to you the most from, from talking to these guys about this? Yeah, I think, um, I think it was, I think it was Jetty number one, um, because the first person I actually talked to was Jose Calderon for it. Um, and I mean, he has, he has really good quotes and I think it's something where like when I went back and was transcribing it and, um, like re-listening to it, it sort of, I realized he said, he gave more insight than I kind of originally thought. But the first, like, just initial reaction was was Jetty because, one, when I asked him, he, like, knew immediately. Like, he didn't have to think. He just was like, oh, yeah. Um, and then it was just, like, the way, it's a bummer because sometimes I wish, like, um, you could include the audio clip of the, of the quote because the way Jetty said it was so funny. And I mean, like, He's got the accent and kind of, you know, sometimes he mixes up words, but like it was just so funny how he kind of like voiced his reaction to LeBron saying, um, I'm not in good shape after having almost a triple double or whatever it was. And I remember like listening and just kind of laughing with Jetty because it is like a ridiculous proposition to say to someone in the media, like, ah, man, I'm, I'm just super out of shape after you go out and have like a very typical amazing LeBron game. So I thought Jetty's was really good. And then um, I really liked Larry Nance's because Larry Nance's reaction to LeBron is kind of just like my reaction to LeBron or like the fans reaction to LeBron, where it's kind of just like they're as mesmerized by it as we are. And they're like as surprised that people take it for granted as, as some of we are, or even like we just take it for granted um, from time to time anyway. Like when he was just saying, about that game in Detroit, the quote I used, where he was talking about he had a really good game and everybody was coming up to him in the locker room after the game and being like, wow, man, great game, Larry. You won this game. And like he he obviously was excited about his game, but he was like, did you guys not see... Like, I didn't win us this game. I played well, but LeBron had 33 and whatever it was, 9-9 nine and nine or whatever it may be. So, and, and I thought that was so spot on because like... We, I think we look for signs that new guys, especially this year with the new group, like we were really looking for signs of, okay, starting to get it, like with Rodney Hood, especially in George Hill, like having a good game. Like, ah, oh, his contributions were huge. And then, but then you just look at LeBron's stat line and you're like, it, it wouldn't have mattered if LeBron hadn't have dropped 35 points and 10 rebounds and eight assists. And it's like that every game, like without LeBron's contributions, it doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing. They're probably going to lose that game. So um, I thought when Larry just like couldn't but like was weirded out by the attention he was getting when LeBron had had this like masterful game. I thought that was like so on the nose about how we sort of take in LeBron in 2018. The Nance thing, is, I think, hits home for me considering being going to games and seeing at least the early part of Nance. He hasn't gotten he's been sneaking out a little bit more recently because he just hasn't been, been playing as well after that injury. But the first couple of games he played in Cleveland, and, and this was assumably like this on the road as well, because he, I feel like every time I watch Fox Sports Time Ohio, he was part of their postgame coverage. The TV cameras would rush to his locker 
and crowd around him and there'd be a massive crowd and and you know this having covered games lebron it's it, it wasn't quite as big as lebron's scrum because the lebron scrum is like unless you're there 10 minutes early and watch basically there as he's changing you're not gonna be close enough to get good audio right there was literally a game where they asked they had like okay with lebron to have larry go first and I'm like, okay, this is this is out of hand a little bit, um, like that. But it speaks to like the, we get so excited about guys, and I think the Nance local thing with the, his him being from here and being excited to be here, his brother playing for Revere, his dad being a, a Cavs legend, I think fed all into that. But I I think Nance is kind of the perfect one, um, and he's so chill about it too, and just seems like a guy who is very aware of what the situation he's in, and just is taking things sort of, but also casually. Like he's the only player I th- I think that regularly wears like a Cavs hoodie and sweatpants and a pair of athletic shoes out of games like pretty much every other guy is is dressing up to some degree whether not a suit but you know JR has his Gucci fanny pack right now and, and Jetty had coach shoes on the other night because Jetty's now Hollywood um, he's a yeah he's a superstar now yeah 100% a superstar he's miss he's gonna get the the takes now if he's keeps using threes like <laughs> he did against Philly but uh like how these guys are reacting is just so interesting and with, with Jetty is also just this guy who is our sort of our like the fan avatar in a lot of ways because he's so earnest and he's just so like clearly excited about it and he just is just like gushing about it in a way that it's it's interesting to see that on this team because this is the first time they've had a rookie who has been worth us talking to frankly um and, and bluntly um after when he pretty on a fairly regular basis considering and he actually kind of has gotten more comfortable talking Atizic has no interest in, in talking right now he had the, the game he had two weeks ago when he had like 16 or whatever he was the Ahmad's post-game interview and he's like thanks guys for coming and he just walked away like he had no interest in, in participating <laughs> in this Jetty sort has gotten more comfortable with it and it's he's just the I think the the fan avatar for the casual caster and the, the rabid Cavs fan that is looking at this team and is like LeBron's incredible I'm very excited to watch this guy and, and isn't really taking it for for granted and is kind of soaking I think in as much as he can yeah and I think something you said to me that I didn't um, include this story but he, he kind of just said like you know you hear this all the time but um from from Jetty like you said it's so earnest when he was just like you know you LeBron makes you look so good when you're playing on the court with him. And I think that um, is especially meaningful coming from Jetty, who came from, you know, playing in Turkey. Like, he's coming to a completely different, um, just different game and different level of basketball than he's experienced for his entire career. And so, and we've seen, you know, Jetty obviously has his his shortcomings. And you put that on top of having to adjust to a, completely new style of, of game and, and more physicality and more just just better players and all of that like that's a really tough transition for a guy as young as, as Jetty is to make and um, he's right like LeBron has thrown him some thrown him some passes and gotten him some open looks that you know he's not getting playing in the Euro League or playing in Turkey and so like when it comes from Jetty saying you know he makes me look so unbelievably good on, on the court it really it's something that you hear a lot, but then like you fully understand what that means when it comes from him because you know he's not getting those looks or, or some of those easy passes for a layup from from guys he was playing with over in Turkey and it so it just makes it completely different and like when he's in awe, like when he's in awe and when it looks like he's in awe of LeBron like he legitimately is in awe and that's he's part of the inspiration I had to write this story because his reactions on the bench, especially in games when he wasn't even playing um, his reactions to LeBron. I remember just like, 
you know, when they show a cut of the bench after LeBron did something and the opposing coach called a timeout, like you just saw it in his face and he was just, he's just having like this wide eyed, incredible experience. And I think that's so cool. Cause like you said, there hasn't really been a rookie on the Cavs that has been getting actual playing time and making a meaningful contribution in a while. So he's a great guy to talk to about because he can give you some really good insight into it. Yeah. It's like what it's like for a guy to come over who's probably heard about LeBron for his whole career, but he's overseas and then he comes comes to the Cavs and he's a rookie and he's playing with them. So it's just kind of a fascinating dynamic. He's also the the leader this year of the the best Cavs Instagram because he had that one of him and not maybe not the best, but the the hit that him and Tristan's like we can roar like lions or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. he's like clearly just so excited about it. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This, this LeBronness, this that maybe we've been over, not overlooking, but maybe not understanding just how insane he's been. Uh, and some of that, I think, is just because the Cavs are kind of an unknown, and it's just hard to... It, it's just like we've seen LeBron be crazy before and all the all these different things that make us take it for granted. But what does that say about where this team is headed? With with the playoffs, two games, regular season games away, with um, either the 4-5 against the Pacers or uh, one of the teams fighting for position at the bottom and just so many, frankly, unknowns. What does it mean that LeBron is doing this now? At 33, with all these minutes on him, maybe having his best offensive season I think I would argue his best event of the season since coming back that he keeps just responding to these big moments, even when other guys aren't and they're having all these other issues like Rodney Hood being in and out of the lineup, George Hill getting hurt, Kyle Corver missing a bunch of games, Nance and, and Thompson's issues. What does that mean that LeBron is playing at this level? Is, is it really being the one non-unknown, the one thing we know can, can hold true, aside from like Kevin Love, but like LeBron being the ultimate truth of this team with everything else, Ty Lue, the one thing I forgot about because it's just so much going yeah. on yeah. what does it mean to have lebron at this level right now yeah i mean it's just um it's just surreal and i honestly think the past two games have illustrated it better than anything the um game against the wizards and then the game against the 76ers where they where they for the sixers game they were down from the start the wizards game they i think they got up 15 and blew it and then had to come back down from 17 or whatever it was but like you see this moment when Le- LeBron's kind of coasting a little bit or he is kind of like, you know, doing his thing where he's like, I'm going to let other guys fail to see that we're not playing the right way or whatever it may be, his little mind games that he sometimes plays on the court. But then he decides, and especially the 76ers game, I mean, they're down 30 and he just decides enough, you know, like we're getting embarrassed enough. And he goes into this mode where you're just not going to be able to do anything to stop him. And it was the same thing against the Wizards. 
where he scored or assisted on their last, like, you know, 12, 15 points in the middle of that comeback, where he's just putting his head down and going to the rim, and you literally cannot do anything. Um, and that, to me, is just so crazy how he can just decide at a snap of a finger, okay, it's time now for me to go into God mode. And he just does it. <laughs> like, and it without fail, he just does it. Like, very rarely does he have a game where he decides, like, okay, I'm going to play to the peak of my abilities and doesn't actually do it. And I just remember watching that Sixers game, and I'm glad I didn't turn it. I was so close to turning it off, and I, I stuck with it a little longer, and I'm so glad I did because, yeah, he just, he just turns it on, and it's such an unbelievable thing to watch where all of a sudden you're like, oh, he is unstoppable. Like, what are you going to do? Um, so I think that illustrates just how amazing he's been this season. I mean, LeBron's always felt like a guy that when he wants to, you're not going to stop him. I mean, that's been throughout his career, but it's it's amplified when he's 33 years old and he's in his 15th season and he's played what feels like millions of minutes on the basketball court and like his body should be breaking down and it's not. Um, and he's better than he ever was. Like all of that, and especially like you mentioned, this season where he has had to so many different lineups, his coach is out. There's like, you know, stuff outside, like just being worried about your coach and whether he's like seriously sick or, or having serious, like scary health issues. And um, Kyle Korver having to go through what he went through and the trades and Isaiah Thomas, like just so many things have happened this season that I don't know how you block out those distractions and, continue to play at the level that he's playing at. And I think that we, we absolutely, and the NBA takes it for granted and because it's just like, it's every night. And so it's like, what is there to kind of bring up to talk about it? Even though I enjoy just every night being like, well, that was insane, you know, but like, I think people just get fatigued by it, fatigued by greatness, I guess, which is like a crazy thing to say, but um, I don't know how you can look at the season and not say anything other than he's just like the greatest player in the world. I just don't know how you look at him and then think what he's doing is anything kind of less than that. It's just the, I think the, when you watch him play defense sometimes and you're just like, all right, LeBron is just, not, yes. he's just like not trying on that end. And it's just, it's just very hard to, um, to like look at his anything other than that. And, you know, like I, I it's, it's sort of like, it's not a perfect comparison. When I was watching on Sunday, I was watching um, the Athlet the Madrid derby um, in between Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid, and Cristiano Ronaldo, who's just also in this in the similar way, is just like this freak specimen. Like LeBron was like right. like right before Atletico Madrid scored, he was just pointing at a guy that like he could have like tried to make an effort, and he's just like, no, go do that. And I feel like that's LeBron all the time. <laughs> like I feel like LeBron is just like annoyed at bad defense, and like is annoyed when like Jeff Green gets beat off the dribble, but he's like, that's not my concern right now. Um, yep. And he does have to, almost too much to do, right? Like, and I don't know how to offset that. And it's, it's almost like they need. It's almost, it's almost like the, the the idea of Jeff Green is like kind of what they need, but they need someone who's like he's been really good, and he just scored like a crap ton of points against the Sixers out of, out of nowhere. But they like need someone better to kind of maybe take that off him. Paul George would have been really perfect at that. Mm-hmm. Um, with this, the playoffs coming up with everything we know about the team and how again how little we know what for you are the unknowns about this team that concern you the most is it Rodney Hood is it George Hill is it the rotation is it what's going to happen with Nansen Thompson is it Ty Lue what what to you is the thing you look at this team and say I, I have no idea and that that scares the crap out of me in terms of evaluating how far they're going to go 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I I would I think it honestly is um, Tyloo, but in in the way of of lineups because if there's one thing and people are so like I didn't even realize how like split people are on 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 Tyloo and how it's they insane feel about him. it's just insane it's, like it's it's crazy. Um, Jason Lloyd, I want to just shout out this tweet really quick and because this is this is the this is one of the few good things on on Twitter.com. <laughs> Twitter's just terrible for Cavs. Like yeah. just insane. But he tweeted it's this. So he tweeted this on on Saturday, like in the in the wee morning on Saturday after they uh or after the game. He said, "I love you, Cleveland, but the only Cavs coach y'all have liked in the last fifteen years couldn't keep track of timeouts or diagram an ATO, and the Cavs tried three times to fire him. That is, of course, in reference to David Blatt, um, and David Zavok." Uh, who writes for Athletic and used to run for the sword, uh, said, first one of this, they liked him because he would yell at the media. I actually don't, I think that's like true <laughs> because Blatt was very combative, but he said crazy things. He did mesh with LeBron. Um, I mean, it, it feels like a lifetime ago that we, they were in Brazil and like Mike Miller was hyping up the, the David Blatt <laughs> offense in the preseason. Said, it, said he was an offensive genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, like, that is, that, that is how far we have come in, in this. Um, yeah. I, and I, I have issues with Tyler as a coach. I think, I think his stubbornness is a problem. I th- I think um, I I think there is a reliance on certain things. I I sometimes just don't know. Uh, his his in game adjustments aren't always my favorite thing in the world. I think he's a better I think he's a better coach in the playoffs, and I think he's he's very good at certain things like ego management. He's good at um, I think dealing with his guys and and getting a lot out of certain guys. But and 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 he's I've been more adaptable this year. Um, in, in actually playing a rookie. I was very skeptical he was going to play Jetty at all, but he actually put some trust in a Jetty and seems to believe in that guy to some degree, yeah. and that's really refreshing. He's not my number one, though. But what else to you is your is your concern, aside from Ty Lue, and continue what else you have to say about Ty? Yeah, I mean, I just you touched on a lot of it, but just, you know, the, the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is that, um, you know, it, it was very brief, it was short-lived, but it took kind of... Larry Drew to finally, and you know, maybe Tyloo would have done this um, if he hadn't have taken his leave of absence, but I don't think it would have it took Larry Drew to put in what a lot of us have kind of been clamoring for in, in, in the starting five of George Hill, Rodney Hood, LeBron, Larry Nance, and Kevin Love. And what, a lineup that I think is by far the, the best option for the Cavs to trot out as their starting five. And like, <clears throat> I, Ty Lue really likes Jeff Green, and I, part of me understands it because he's versatile. He can guard whoever he can switch, and he's like he has he's had just enough good offensive games where the yeah, like you said, the idea of Jeff Green um, is enjoyable to think about, but it's not really the reality. And um, I don't I don't mind playing Jeff Green. I do think he's useful, and he eats up minutes, and he lets people rest and sit. Like I think he's great for that, but. Tyloo just was not taking him out of the starting lineup and not um, not putting in what I think is fairly easy to see the most optimal starting lineup. Um, and so Larry Drew did it, and then in that game, George Hill twisted his ankle, and we haven't seen him since, although hopefully he'll be back uh, tomorrow night, and we'll see what happens then. But um, I like that stuff, that stuff just worries me in terms of... I, I do think, like you mentioned, the stubbornness of Tyloo. I think he sometimes just doesn't like he just doesn't want to change something just out of principle. And I think that's a really, it's just a really bad idea because 
like he'll do it in game. He just won't do it to start the game. And it's just not something I understand the Sixers game when they're getting blown out because of their speed and Kyle Korver couldn't keep up with some of their guys off the dribble. And um, that's when he kind of put Jeff Green um, at the four and Kevin at the five and they went small and that's, and, and they put Jetty in um, and that's what allowed them to kind of have that, that comeback. So like, he'll do it. He'll like put kind of lineups he hasn't really tinkered with before in there when it's necessary. I just don't fully understand why he doesn't do it at the beginning of the game or earlier. Um, and I think that that is something that is really dangerous to do with the playoffs because you get down early in the playoffs and it's just, you're playing better teams and um, it's just, so I just think it's a lot harder to, to climb a mountain of 20, 25 points. Um, so I would say that's my main concern. My second thing is honestly, I think it's Larry Nance and whatever is going on. Um, and I do think there's something too. Uh, Jason Lloyd a couple of days ago pointed this out and I tweeted this that um, Larry Nance, since he sort of injured his hamstring and was out for a couple games, but then came back. So he wasn't out that long. Um, his numbers since then have just been pretty abysmal. Um, and he just sort of seems like a, he's been a real non-factor in some of these games. He was a complete non-factor in that Sixers game until he almost tipped the ball in at the end to tie the game um, and sent it to overtime. But like, I think the Cavs really need Larry Nance um, because outside of, LeBron and Kevin Love, you're just some, you're just not sure where the, the third production is going to come from. And this isn't to say that Larry Nance needs to be going out and scoring 20 points, but if he's scoring under 10 points and he's grabbing only a couple of rebounds, like you just you can't have that from him. You need more, and he's and he's certainly capable of more, especially when he's on the court with LeBron James. Like those two have certainly quickly developed. Um, some nice chemistry up the pick and roll. And so to see him sort of disappear over these past couple weeks have been um, kind of jarring. And the rebounding numbers against the Sixers were atrocious and him not having a good game sort of coupled with Tristan kind of fading and kind of falling off athletically, whether it's because of the injury or something else. Um, you can't have two, you can't have your only guy that's going to be rebounding uh, be Kevin Love. And so you just need Larry Drew for a lot of little things and um, just being a threat on pick and roll and being a threat for alley-oops and all that stuff. So that actually really worries me is if he's not going to be right for the playoffs um, because you just need him because you just don't know what you're going to get from Rodney Hood. You, you don't know what you're going to get from George Hill. Um, you still don't know on a nightly basis what you're going to get from a lot of the the guys that they're still trying to work into this lineup and figure out how to best use them. And I think, like it's simple to understand where Larry thrives. Like his game is very easy to understand. He's very good at what he does, but it seems like this hamstring injury is really hurting his his ability. So that actually worries me the most. Yeah, I will add real quick on, on Nance and Thompson. Tyloo said after the Wizards game that they basically are going to have to pick one of them to play at some point because they're starting green. That is ultimately an issue in and starting green because if it if that puts you in that situation where you cannot anything with your rotations and you just feel like you're stuck in that regard I get it. and I and look they're starting Jeff Green because they're thinking about how they want to deploy him not necessarily against Toronto but in the finals like that to me is what that move is about um it is it is about having him on the floor to guard Kevin Durant or to guard James Harden as crazy as that sounds I think I think that's what it is um, I don't think they trust Hood to do it. I, I think they don't trust, they don't want LeBron to do it. So Jeff Green's kind of the guy. And look, I, I think it could be a situation where they have to play both 
Nance and Thompson just because of who's going to play better on a given night. Um, Nance has to, I think. I think Nance has stepped out on guys and defended guards better in a way that Thompson really used to be good at. And I think he's just worn down. That's my theory. I think he just, the finals runs have to have impacted him more than some other guys because yeah. of his size, because of his game. He Because he played so many games or never had, or had rest or anything like that. Nance is probably just a little bit fresher, but he has to get back to that form. And if he's not, I, I think you could see them both getting some DMPs, and that's that's a real problem. My that's my number one. But I will say, Hood is a it's a concern for me as well. He just keeps having these little tick injuries. They don't seem to be anything serious, but there are things that knock him out for times: the back strain, this this Achilles soreness. He hasn't since that eleven point fourth quarter he had again. I can't even remember who it was against, but. He hasn't played well in a couple weeks, really. Like, a very, very good game in a couple weeks. He's had a couple okay games and then has largely been invisible. I think they really need him. Um, I, I think at the very least they need a combination of him, Corver, and J.R. Smith to all contribute sort of similar things in different ways. And if he's not there, you're basically hoping that J.R. can be back to the J.R. that he's been. I think he's been okay of late. And you're baking on Corver being able to hang defensively against certain teams. And I think it's a lot easier to hide him against Toronto, against you know, Boston or, or Philly. I mean, I don't know if Philly just had this issue, but maybe you can find the right matchup from there. But it's asking if, if Hood's not good, they're just a little bit thin on the wing and it puts Chetty into a position where he has to perform. And I don't, I think based on how he shot, I think teams are going to start ignoring him. And that in itself is a problem. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. It just the overall inconsistencies of guys outside of LeBron and Kevin, because like when you had Kyrie, it was essentially, okay, he's, going to struggle on defense but you know that he's going to go for at least 20 um and if and he has those games where he's going for for 30 going for almost 40 like you knew you were going to get that scoring out of him and you knew that every single night that he was going to get his points one way or another and you you just don't have that luxury now of having three guys that you knew you know Kevin obviously had some inconsistencies but you still knew like if you really needed it from Kevin as a third option he was going to get you a double double like you knew that's what was going to happen and now you take Kyrie out of that equation and you're trying to um you know spread out that point total and that play between Hood and Corver and J.R. Smith and George Hill and you know like this this amalgam of guys and that's I I think actually that's kind of opens my eyes to yeah you're just relying on guys who just have not shown the consistency like you mentioned Rodney Hood and the injuries and this is something he's dealt with his whole career in Utah he was frequently injured and that that's part of the reason why I think Utah was willing to kind of let him go despite how good he can look um some days um and then you look at George Hill who like has was starting to play a lot better before he got injured because of course that's what's happened to this team the entire season. Um, but yeah, like are you going to rely on J.R. Smith to give you consistent play? You can't. I mean, this year has been his most, his worst, I think. And you just, even though he's kind of looked more competent of late in that wizards game, man, he had some defensive shortcomings where you just are like, what where he's losing his man and he's balling it, that stuff he's been doing all year. So it's like, I can't rely on him. Um, you just can't rely on anyone outside of um, LeBron and Kevin Love. And, you know, Jeff Green is such a um, – he's just so polarizing because that game against Philly was the perfect Jeff Green game. And I tweeted out his shot chart because that is what, that is what I wish Jeff Green's game looked like every night where – 
okay, maybe he's not going to hit five of six threes. Uh, he had, you know, he was hitting like one of seven threes every night for about a month. But if he's hitting two of even two of five or three of six, you know, and then he's not taking those bad mid-range jumpers. Like when he is getting the ball, it's deep in the post and he's got a mismatch and he takes it to the rim like he did on J.J. Redick and Marco Bellinelli. Like those are fine with me. And he that game was just, he was fine, you know? And if he's going to miss a shot at the rim, then he's going to miss a shot at the rim. Fine, you live with that. You just don't want him taking those pull-up mid-range jumpers that he can fall in love with. So like if that's the Jeff Green that you can get, Great, but again, it just goes to the inconsistency. You just don't know if you're going to get that type of game from him every night. So maybe in in talking this through, the scariest thing is just because what we touched on is just kind of the inconsistencies. Um, where when you had Kyrie, you didn't really have to worry about that. You knew you had your three guys every night that were coming out. They were going to give you tons of scoring, um, and then you just you just all you had to hope was a couple guys hit some threes around them. Um, and it's just not that's not what it is anymore. They just need. So they just need more, um, and they just haven't found that third option to be as consistent as you would like. So maybe that's the most scary thing as we kind of move forward here is just like not knowing. Noting that Kevin Love, by the way, since uh, in the ten, ten around ten games he's played, since he's come back, it's like nine or ten. He's he's shooting thirty five or forty five point eight percent from three, which on five point three attempts per game, which is very good. He's, he's averaging nine point four rebounds a game and fifteen point one points. He's had some very very good games. Had just one or two kind of iffy games, but he's been the closest thing I think they've had to as you, as you pointed out to having something else consistent. So there was part one of my conversation with Jordan Zerm. Again, check back on Wednesday for the second part of that conversation. One will talk about all of the different aspects of this upcoming Cavs playoff run, what is different this year, and a whole bunch more about what's to come with this Cavs team. Always an interesting group to talk about. Uh, find me on Twitter at CDMM Rights. Find the pod on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. And please go on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star rating interview. That is the best way to support Lockdown Cavs, and I appreciate everyone out there listening. We're going to be geared up for the playoff run, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow with a recap of Cavs Knicks. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.